the Holy Spirit, one God, Amin. Can you hear me at the back? So it's a great blessing and honor to be here in the Diocese of Los Angeles and today here at St. Maurice Church. And I thank very much His Eminence Metropolitan Serapion for giving me this blessing and this honor to be here. And actually, His Eminence asked me to concentrate in the Eastern region. So this is part of the Eastern region, so you will see me a lot. So it's a blessing for me, and I want to thank very much Father Mina and Father Mark for their love. It was wonderful to celebrate the liturgy today, celebrating the feast of St. Pope Corollus VI, who is a saint that is very popular and much loved by the Coptic community around the world. Uh, and as I mentioned after I uh, read the Synaxarium today, that the Synod of our Church on the 20th of June 2013 canonized both Pope Corollus VI and Habib Gerges as saints on the same day. So there is a link there with Habib Gerges on this day that we commemorate uh, the feast of, uh, of St. Pope Krolos the uh, Sixth. I know Father Mina from uh, a very long time, uh, a very uh, blessed priest, and I know he's doing great ministry here among you. I think even maybe when I was still a monk serving in Hawaii, and would come here every month to serve the youth for about a week, so we got to know each other so over 20 years now, I know Father Mina, and uh, I had the blessing of meeting Father Mark uh, a few weeks ago as well. And it's wonderful to meet with the Sunday school teachers and youth leaders, because you have a significant and very important role to play in the life of this parish, and also in the life of the children and the youth of this parish and do not underestimate for one instant the work that you do and the effect and the influence that you can have on the children that you serve. And today I'm going to share with you uh, an example of a, a model servant, a model Sunday school teacher and youth leader, uh, a very inspirational figure in the life of our church, in the modern history of our church, and that is Saint Archdeacon Habib Gerges. As Abuna mentioned that my PhD was on this subject, but in fact it was much broader than this. The PhD I did was in the Department of Religious Education at Fordham University in New York. So really the theme, or the main uh, uh, emphasis was on, on religious education in general. But when I came to write my dissertation, I concentrated on the topic uh, of Habib Gerges and his life and work with respect to education, and he was significant uh, in several things that we will talk about today. But before I begin, I want to ask you first, what do you know about Habib Gerges? I'd like to know so I don't repeat things as well that you may already know. What do you know about him? Anything at all? That, can you speak up a bit? Yes, he started Sunday school. That's usually the first response I get, and it's correct. 
He was an archdeacon. Yes, do you know when he, was, he became archdeacon? I'll give you a thousand dollars if you can tell me. <laughs> because I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to prove it. <laughs> what else? So it's not known when he became. No, I know that he became archdeacon before he went to a trip to represent Pope Carolus V to Sudan to attend the consecration of an Anglican church. The a bishop had come from London to Sudan to attend, and he went to represent Pope Carolus. He was ordained before that because he called him archdeacon before that trip. But when exactly, I haven't found out. Someone else. What else do you know about him? He was the dean of the school. Which school? The theological school here. Yes. Do you know when? <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> you answer a question, I'll ask you another question. <laughs> Does anyone know when he became the dean of the seminary in Egypt? Oh, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> but you No, no, no. This is a different date, which is when the theological college was established. So the theological college was established in, uh, uh, in 18... Uh, 1893, it's important for you to know this modern history of your church. It's a more difficult question. But if you've read the book, you would find out. So I don't know if the book is available here in your library or in your bookshop. So this is the book that was published two years ago, almost now, on uh, uh, the life and the work of Habib Gerges. He replaced Yusuf Beckman Karyos. He was the first dean for the seminary uh, when it was established. Who established the seminary? And it was not Habib Gerges. It's an easy question. Yeah, Pope Corollos, which one? Which one? Not the fourth. The fourth was uh, in 1854. He became patriarch and died in, in uh, 61. The fifth. Pope Corollus V. Pope Corollus V is a very important figure in our modern history because he was also the longest reigning patriarch in the history of the Coptic Church. How many years? Hmm? 45? Just over 50 years. So he was the longest in, the, in our 2,000 year history. Pope Corollus V, who was a very saintly man, um, reigned the most on the, on the throne of St. Mark just over 50 years, and we'll talk a little bit about him in, our, uh, in the beginning of our discussion. Do you know anything else about Habib Gerges? Okay, go ahead, but yeah, we want more to share. Go ahead. Usually before that, uh, a lot of uh, 
disturbance was Lehman. Okay. Yes, but um, when he became archdeacon, he was no longer a layman. So we have to be aware of this because this point always upset him a lot that people considered him as a layman, whereas an archdeacon is one of the ranks of the, of the priesthood. But yes, he was an excellent preacher. He didn't always wear his clerical vestments, though. He would uh, only in the liturgy that he would have his uh, liturgical vestments, and he didn't even grow his beard as well. Um, but yes, he was an excellent preacher uh, who had a very sonorous voice, a very powerful voice. When he spoke, people wanted to listen and hear, and uh, he would go to many churches and, and to preach. We'll talk a little bit about that. Anyone else? Any final comment? He was like a great inspiration to Pope Shenouda. Yes, he was a great inspiration to Pope Shenouda III of blessed memory. In fact, Pope Shenouda, near the end of the life of Habib Gerges, studied at the seminary, and also he was um, appointed to teach. And I have the letter from Habib Gerges appointing Pope Shenouda to teach at the, at the seminary. So thank you, thank you for, for this information. And um, I want to now begin to tell you a little bit about the milieu or the atmosphere that, that was just before Habib Gerges' birth. Do you know when he was born? This is a saint that I hope that you'll begin to love and maybe some of you will take him as your intercessor because for me, he's my inspiration in every morning. This man really inspires me so much by the work he did. Does anyone know when he was born? Yes. Yes, excellent. 1876, he was born. So before, a little bit before that time, in Egypt, we want to think about what was the situation in Egypt at that time with respect to education. In fact, it was a very dismal situation. It was a very bleak period, whether in the life of Egypt in general or in the church in particular. And the, at the time of the early 19th century, there was a governor that came into Egypt called Muhammad Ali Basha. And he was the governor of Egypt from 1805 for quite a few years. And he began wanting to have good control of Egypt and the rest of the region around him. So he began to send students abroad to Europe to study because the education system in Egypt was basically just non-existent. There was what was called the Kutab system, which were, um, whether with the Muslims or the Christians, were uh, ma mainly blind men or in the church blind cantors that would collect a small group of uh, children or young people in the church hall or uh, uh, in the outside area of the garden of the church and would begin giving them lessons by rote learning, memorization, very simple things. That was basically what was in Egypt at the time. So when Muhammad Ali Basha saw that there was a very refined education system in Europe, he began to send students there to study and then to, to train others when they came back to Egypt and began to give them prominent positions uh, in the government. But he only concentrated on the Muslims 
and he ignored and discriminated against the Christians. And what happened at that time then, Pope Carolus IV, who is known by as what? Abu al-Islah, or the father of reform. He was a very enlightened man, and at that time, Western missionaries had begun to come to Egypt from Europe and from America. At first, they wanted to convert the Muslims to Christians. They were mainly Protestants and some Catholics, but they failed dismally, and they couldn't get through the Islamic community, and, and the, the idea of conversion was rejected. And so what was the easy target for them was begin to attack the Christians and to begin converting the Copts into Protestantism and uh, Catholicism. And they were very advanced in their educational systems. And they began to establish very powerful schools uh, all throughout Egypt, beginning in Asyut and Upper Egypt in the south, working their way towards Cairo and Alexandria and so on. When Pope Carolus IV, the father of reform, saw the advancement of these schools and saw how the government was ignoring the Copts, he began to think of establishing what was known as the Great Coptic School near the cathedral uh, in Azbakeya. And not only opening schools for boys, but also he gave importance to opening schools uh, for girls. And as I said, there was no education at the time. The government had brought in the first printing press, and so he had an idea to bring in the second printing press into Egypt. And when you read the history, it tells you that he asked his clergy and deacons to go and meet at the train station, this printing press when it arrived to Egypt, and said at the time, he wasn't in Cairo, he said if he was present, he would have danced in front of the printing press as David the prophet danced in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Fascinating that a patriarch would say something like this. And obviously he said this because his heart was full of joy, feeling that this printing press is going to enlighten and transform and change the lives of the Copts who were basically not educated, that people would begin to be trained to be able to use the press, they would be able to publish books, be able to publish magazines, re religious newspapers, and so on, so that the people can begin to be educated to know uh, their faith. So it was a very, very dismal period in the life of the church, and we're talking about 100, 150 years ago. Not only this, in fact, the hierarchy and the clergy of the church were also ignorant. Can you imagine that the patriarch, the bishops, the priests, no one was able to preach? So what happens on Sunday morning when there is a liturgy? So the liturgy goes ahead, and then after the gospel reading, the priest will get a manuscript or an old book, and just read something from it, and that was it. That's what they considered as the sermon. So imagine, I'll answer in a minute. No one in the church had the ability to preach. In all of Egypt, there was only one priest that was an eloquent speaker and preacher. Does anyone know what his name was? 
No. Father Philotheus Ibrahim Baghdadi, this was at the turn of the 20th century. He was a very powerful preacher who went from church to church, from Cairo to Alexandria, all the way to Aswan, preaching and teaching. The churches were overflowing when he was preaching. People even standing around the outside of the church near the windows listening to him because they were hungry, thirsty to hear the word of, word of God and could not find anyone to teach them. This was the dismal sad state of the church at the turn of the 20th century. You had a question. Yeah, I think Lack of education, lack of knowledge, there was no seminary, there was nothing where they could learn. And there were very few books at the time as well. So imagine that Habib Gerges, when he was born, this was the situation. Okay. <laughs> Um, so there were three things at the time of the birth of Habib Gerges in 1876 that were tearing away at the very thread of Coptic identity. Three things. First of all was an internal struggle. When these Western missionaries began their schools, some of the Copts sent their children to study there and they had a very high quality education and some of them then went to the ruler of Egypt at that time and asked to establish what was known as the Maglis al-Melli, or the Lay Community Council. And they wanted to improve the level of education and wanted to take control of the administration of the church. And this was at the time of Pope Corollos V. And then attention began to happen about authority and leadership, and it ended up that this lay community council asked the, the, the ruler of Egypt at the time to banish the Pope from his see. And in fact, he was sent to Baramos Monastery, and he, was, he, he, he lived there under almost house arrest for about six months. And there was a, a sad division that happened in the life of the church and caused many, many problems. This was an internal struggle that caused part of tearing away at our Coptic identity. Secondly, was the pressures that were coming from the government authorities towards the church and uh, disturbing the church and not assisting in many issues. And the third thing that was tearing away at the Coptic identity was these Western missionaries that had come into Egypt and their goal and aim was to convert the Copts into Protestants and Catholics. And what they would do, they were very clever. They would send back to their people back in America and Europe and say to them, this is an archaic church, they're using this ancient language that they don't understand, uh, uh, almost like a, uh, they're trying to prove to them that they were not quite Christians and that we need to reconvert them and rebaptize them to make them Christians. And then their co congregations in America and Europe would send them lots of money where they started to establish churches and started to establish their uh, schools. So imagine 
Habib Gerg is being born into this atmosphere, all these tensions that are happening, was a very, very bleak time in the life of the church. So this is what Pope Shenouda III said about Habib Gerges. He said, our teacher, Archdeacon Habib Gerges, pioneer of religious education in our generation, started his life in an age that was almost void of religious education and knowledge. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, as the book of Genesis describes. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and the light was Habib Gerges. These are the words of Pope Shenouda in one of uh, the articles that he wrote in Watani, describing his thoughts about this man, that it was uh, a period void of education and knowledge, and then God sent this man at the right time that brought the light of education back into the life of the Coptic Orthodox Church. In my opinion, if God did not send Habib Gerges at this time, I really wonder if all of us would be sitting here today. I really wonder what would the direction have taken for the Coptic Orthodox Church. Would we have gone after the flow of the Protestants and the Catholics and lost our Coptic identity. He played a significant, significant role in the importance of religious education and theological education that he concentrated and in fact dedicated his whole life to. If I speak to you about all of his work in theological education, it will take a long time, but I want to concentrate a little bit more today about his work in the Sunday School Movement. As I said that he was born in 1876 and he fell asleep when? Do anyone know the date? When did he fall asleep? Fall, we usually use this term falling asleep is better than saying died or departed or anything like this. Someone said a date. Yes, do you know exactly when? Yes, very good. So the night or the vespers of the Feast of St. Mary. So 21 August 1951. So he lived for 19, uh, 76 years. His father's name was Gerges Mankarios, and he was uh, having a very high position in one of the government departments. And he died in 1882 when Habib Gerges was only six years old. So very young. Imagine. A young boy, when his father dies so young, could very easily, that he could have strayed in any, any direction, not having that father figure in his life. But in fact, he was a very faithful Christian who had a great zeal for the church, and it was also due to the great work that his mother, his mother's name was Mariam, and she took him to the great Coptic school that Pope Carolus IV had established uh, several decades before, and he advanced in his education and completed his primary and secondary education at the great Coptic school. 
He also had a sister called Martha and also two brothers, Ghali uh, and Kamel. When he finished his secondary education, Pope Carolus V had seen the dismal state of the priests in Egypt and decided then to establish the seminary in November of 1893. So uh, last year was uh, 125 years since the establishment of the, of the seminary. And we have to make a distinction here between the seminary that Pope Carolus V established in 1893 and what we call the Catechetical School of Alexandria that was established by St. Mark in the first century. They're two different things and had two different purposes. The purpose of the Catechetical School of Alexandria that St. Mark established in the first century was to prepare those that were not Christian to be baptized, so to give them the correct Christian teaching so that they can become Christians. That was the purpose of that school of the first century. What Pope Carolus established in 1893 for the first time in history in our church was a seminary for training young men to become priests in the church. Two different purposes completely and we should not mix between uh, the two. So when Pope Carolus established that seminary in 1893, Habib Gerges has just finished his secondary education and he became one of the first students to, to join uh, the seminary then. For the first four years that the seminary was operating, there was no teaching of religion. There was no theology being taught. So what were they teaching them? Mathematics, science, geography, history, but not teaching them theology. Why? Because there was no one to teach them. No one qualified. Then they thought, okay, let's bring in Father Philistheus Ibrahim Baghdadi to teach. By that time, he had become an elderly man. He went into the first lecture. Halfway through the lecture, he collapsed onto the floor because he was very sick. They took him home. A few days later, he fell asleep. So four years, and the students were very upset, very frustrated, can't find anyone to teach them. So what did Habib Gerges do during this time? Because he had this passion for learning. In one of his books, he writes this and says it. He went into the library of the Patriarchate, which was a very rich library full of books and manuscripts. And he said that he read everything in the library, all the books, all the manuscripts, and he taught himself. And when Yusuf Beckman Karyos, the dean, saw how uh, advanced he was, they allowed him while he was in his final year as a student to begin teaching the first year students uh, theology which he um, excelled at as well. While he was still in his final year as a student, he gave a very important lecture called Adiyan al-Masihiyya, Christian Religion. And he gave it at the school near the uh, patriarchate and in this lecture he started to speak about the history the early history and the glories of the church and how the church was leading the ecumenical councils 
and spoke of the great Saint Athanasius and Saint Cyril and Saint Dioscorus and all of our great doctors of the church as we call them, those great patristic fathers, and told them, look how we were leading all of these theological discussions and how our church, you know, had this glory. And now look at the dismal state that our church has reached. Let us put our hands together and work together to return back the former glory of our church. And it was a very passionate message that he gave. During that lecture was attending Tadros Bek Shinud al-Mankabadi, and he was the editor-in-chief of a Coptic newspaper called Misr, Egypt. And he was very impressed by this young preacher that had never heard these words before. And he got his permission to take this lecture and he published it in his newspaper and distributed thousands of copies so that people can begin to awaken, begin to realize what is happening in our church, how can we turn the tide back in the right direction. And people began to think and see what is going on, who is this young, bright scholar that is beginning to preach and to teach in the church. It's really quite amazing when you think, 100 years, not a very long time, when you look now at our church, how it is uh, going in Egypt and expanding, how is it expanding all over the world in this blessed diocese under His Eminence, Mr. Potan Sarapion, and in many other dioceses around North America and elsewhere in Europe and Australia. And our churches are filled now with clergy and bishops that are educated and give powerful teaching to our people, publications, churches, so, so much happening. All this in a matter of 100 years. And for me, that turning point was this man, Habib Gergis, without a doubt whatsoever. Of course, there are others that continued from his work, like Pope Carolus the Sixth that we celebrate today, his feast, and Pope Shenouda the Third, and now his Holiness Pope Tawadros the Second, and so on. But this was the state, and this was, was what was happening 100 years ago. After that sermon, he gave a second sermon in the church of Harat Sa'ayin in Cairo, and this time, Pope Carolus V had began to hear about this man, and he came into the church, and he stood on his throne for one hour while Habib Gerges was preaching from the pulpit, his heart full of joy, leaping for joy, blessing him with his cross, and blessing all the congregation that is attendance, and feeling now that preaching and teaching is about to explode in the life of the Coptic Church again, and a, a new enlightenment period is about uh, to take place. So imagine that the, the patriarch himself is in the church listening to this young preacher to preach and to teach the people in, the, in this church of Harut Isa'ayin. This was the beginning of the life of Habib Gerges and his education. The Holy Synod put out a decree in 1898 speaking about the importance of giving attention to the education of children. And the following year, Pope Krollos also issued a decree saying similar things about the importance of 
giving instruction to young children on religious faith. And again, another decree in 1903 from the Synod. Habib Gerges took this as a message for himself. And what did he, try, what did he start doing? He started collecting groups of children, first in the church of St. Mary in Fagala in Cairo, in 1900. For me, this is the beginning of Sunday school, was these first classes that Habib Gerges brought these young children and he began giving them a very simple catechism, Q&A, question and answer. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the Son of God. Who is Saint Mary? She is the Theotokos, the Mother of God. Um, very simple things like this with uh, basic tenets of Christian faith and Orthodox faith. And it was a type of rote le learning or memorization that he began to give these young children. And he began to publish a very simple catechism, this Sinugim or question and answer, and he began to get the children to memorize these answers. Obviously now with modern educational methods, rote learning is not how we teach children. But he began then developing this idea uh, further with many curricula uh, later on. But where did he get the idea of Sunday school? Does anyone know? Where did he get this idea to establish a Sunday school movement? Hmm? From his mom? No, not from his mom. Yeah, yeah. We try to shy away from this and not to mention it, but we have to be honest when we speak about this. Habib Gerges, without any doubt whatsoever, learned from the methods of the Western missionaries that came into Egypt and the powerful Sabbath schools, they had schools on Saturdays for religious education. He would have been very aware of it, he would have probably seen their curricula, and he would have learned from their systems. But he did not obviously take on their teachings. He took these ideas and he baptized them to give them an orthodox flavor and to make sure he was a very staunch orthodox in his faith and uh, made sure that everything that was taught was according to the teachings of the Coptic Orthodox Church. He was also very well read. As I said, there wasn't many books at the time in Egypt, so he imported many books from abroad, from Europe mainly, and he began to translate them into Arabic. He knew, I, I believe he knew several languages. Definitely he knew English very well. And uh, from his writings you can tell that because he was reading, for example, Froebel. Froebel was a, a German philosopher, educationist. He was reading Froebel back in the beginning of the 1900, quite amazing reading patristic texts that were not in Arabic obviously at that time but were in English and also there were several people that were sending him postcards in English so obviously they're not going to send him a postcard in English if they knew that he didn't know English and I have copies of almost all of those postcards that people sent to him and that's another fascinating story but I don't have time to discuss it now um, but definitely he took the idea from the Western missionaries of how to establish the Sunday School movement. Not only this, but he also, as I said, he was reading Froebel, this German educationalist and 
philosopher. He wrote six volumes for teachers, how to teach each of the different age groups, how to understand the psychology of each of the different age groups, what lessons are suitable for this age group, what activities that the teachers should do with these age groups, six volumes. I have some of them, not all of them. So this is how he was thinking, not only just writing curricula to be taught to the children, but how to, to assist the teachers as well of how to teach at each of the levels. I don't think we even have something like this in our church today. Maybe now we are starting to think about these things. But this man was certainly ahead of his time and see how he was thinking so that he can give the best possible religious education to these children because for him they were the most precious asset for the church because they are going to be the future leaders of the church and that's why he gave so much attention and so that's why I'm saying to each and every one of you today as well don't think of these children that in your classes today that there's just little kids just playing around mucking around but they are the future leaders of the church. From them will come the monks, the nuns, the, the priests, the deacons, the consecrated deaconesses, you know, and so on uh, in the church. So, you know, think of each one of them as a very precious soul in the sight of God, and you should give all of your attention as much as you can to care for their religious education. There's a lot that we can learn from Habib Gergesen. I'll give you a few points as Sunday school teachers, how we can benefit from his life and from uh, his work. Not only this, but he also cared for the ministry for girls specifically. This is his own words. This is what he says about the, the education to girls. When you have had enough, tell me and I'll be quiet because otherwise I can speak all day about this subject. So, <laughs> this is what he says. You have to keep a, a track of time. Yes, I have a question about, oh, where are the six volumes? Do we still have them? Or I have some of them on my computer as PDF files. Were they ever mass produced? No, uh, well, at that time, yes. But not after that. Yeah. But, sorry? The question was, uh, are these uh, volumes, these six volumes for uh, assisting teachers in, in teaching the children, are they still available? No, they, there was something that was done at his time and mass produced at that time for Sunday school teachers, but eventually they, they probably just uh, went by the wayside. But now we have more advanced things that we can use, but I'm telling you the example to show you how the man was thinking in educating and training the Sunday school teachers. But this is why it says about education of girls. As for the ministry to girls after the age of 10, they are to be cared for by women who would conduct, conduct their meetings at different times than the meetings for boys. The male Sunday school teachers and the members of the Coptic Youth League, that was the youth ministry at the time, it was called Coptic Youth League, are not to interfere in or oversee the ministry to girls. Women are to set suitable activities separate from those of the Coptic Youth League and the higher committee is to set up a special organization to supervise and direct the ministry of young females. 
So you can see again another example of how enlightened this man was, not just caring for the education of men and, and uh, young boys, but giving great attention also to the education uh, of females in the community. Sorry? Yeah, that, that was the situation there in Egypt at the time. Right? Obviously now we have integration between uh, boys and girls in our Sunday school and so on, but this is how it was seen to be more suitable to educate females separately from men, but here he gives emphasis on, you know, don't neglect them, because they may have been neglected in the general education system in Egypt, but here he says, in the church, no, we must give important attention to the education of young women. Not only this, but because, as I said, there was illiteracy and people were not educated, he tried to find important ways how to educate even those that were illiterate. And he used popular education to do this. And he used two methods in particular. He used hymnology and the formation of spiritual songs to educate. How? He would write the, the words himself. He was a very good poet. And then he would use the Coptic music, either from the Tazbaha, the Midnight Praise, or from the liturgy, uh, or the hymns of Kiyahk, etc. And he would adapt the church music to the words that he wrote. And the words that he wrote for the songs or the hymns all had very rich orthodox teachings. And he did this so that we would not lose part of our Coptic identity. He could have easily been influenced by the Western music that came into Egypt at the time. Because the Western missionaries came in with their Western music and, and, and religious songs. He could have easily taken that uh, and used it for his hymns, but he didn't do this. He used the original Coptic music to preserve the identity of who we are as a Coptic church and what we stand for, and our music is part of that heritage. This was one thing he did. The second thing that he did was religious pictures. He imported from Europe stories of the Bible in beautiful color uh, postcards, and I have many of them in my collection, original ones. And on the back of them, he printed, uh, for those that could read, a summary of the story and also a verse for the students to learn. So the image itself is educating. So the icons that you see in our churches, that cover our churches, each icon teaches something. It's educating, right? It's inspiring, right? You look at... For example, the icon of St. Anthony there in the desert, and then in the corner you see the palm tree, the small uh, pond where he was drinking and eating the dates and teaching how he was living an ascetical life, and then he's meeting there with St. Paul the Hermit. Every icon tells an important lesson in our life. So don't look at them as just images there, but go deeper into each icon and see what, what is being taught there. And that's what he was trying to do by distributing all of these religious pictures all over Egypt. In fact, in one of the annual reports that he wrote, 
In Egypt at the time, around the 1940s, the number of Copts was about one million. Now in Egypt, we are about 15 million, say. We don't have exact figures. I just want to make a comparison with something. The Karaza magazine that's published, about 50,000 copies of the Karaza magazine is published each two weeks. Maybe it's increased a little bit for the 15 million Copts. Okay, back then there was a million. How many religious pictures in a period of nine months do you think he published? How many? How many pictures that he distributed to the children? How many in a period of nine months? Huh? 5,000? 5, 3.25 million. And I have the annual report. I'll tell you how I found it. It's another fascinating story. 3.25 million. And he distributed from this 3.25 million, 2.27 million pictures to the children. Because it was a popular way of teaching, the more of these icons that the children had, and the teacher describes to them the story, then having an image in front of them gets it stuck in their mind, and they remember the story and the important teaching that the teacher gave them. And it cost him how much? 715 Egyptian pounds. Back then, in 1948, that was a huge amount of money, right? But it shows you how much he cared for these kids. He loved them so dearly. He wanted to give them the best education. And back then, when a kid got a very a beautiful color photo, that was a big deal. Our kids today, they have <laughs> everything, you know, this maybe today doesn't have the same effect as it did back 60, 70 uh, years ago. So those were two types of education that Habib Gerges gave to the children, popular education that were very, very effective. Not only this, but he gave care for the villages, for training and educating the children in the villages. And before I speak about village education, I'll tell you how I found some of these documents. I had met a scholar some years back in Egypt and said to me, go into the archives under the cathedral, maybe you'll find some documents about Habib Gerges. And he gave me a few pages that he had found. I didn't give it much attention. I said, archives, what's going to be there under the cathedral? It's probably not going to be organized. I probably won't find anything. And I kept it in the back of my mind. A few years later, I went down there under the steps of the cathedral. And there was a, a young fellow there who was responsible for the archives. I said to him, do you have a catalog for the archives? Can I know what's here? So he pulled out a few pages that were handwritten. I looked through it quickly. My reading of... Uh, Arabic handwriting is not the best, but I, I worked my way through it and found a file called Habib Gerges. I got very excited. I said to him, can you photograph it for me? He said, sure. He went and photographed a few pages, went home, looked at the document, and was very disappointed to realize that this was just an employee of the Patriarchate, not the Habib Gerges I was looking for. 
But anyway, when I was down there in the archives, I found books um, that had the minutes of the lay community council, Maglis and Melli. And Habib Gerges was elected three times into the Maglis and Melli with the highest votes. So I said, maybe in these minutes, surely there must be something about his work in education. So I agreed with him next day, I'll bring a cameraman and I'll photograph the minutes of the Lay Community Council during the period of Habib Gerges' time. And he agreed, 10 a.m., he'll meet me. Went early, cameraman came, and he didn't turn up. What's going on? I waited for an hour, he came. He looked very sad, very upset, very tense. I didn't understand what's going on. I was ready to begin, he said, no, 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 I'm sorry. I can't help you. If you need anything, go and speak to the responsible person who will remain unnamed. So, didn't we have an agreement? No, 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 I can't help you. Go and speak to the responsible person. Okay, so I went to the responsible person. So and so, please, I'm doing a research on Habib Gerges. I need to see if there's anything in the archives about him or his work. And the response was, no, 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 no. Don't trouble yourself. We don't have all of this stuff here. All we have here is marriage contracts and land titles of the patriarchate. Habib Gerges Sunday School Theological Education, we don't have any of these things. Can I just go in to have a look? No, no, don't trouble yourself. So I'm not going to get into argument with him. I left, went back to Australia. The next year, something nagging inside of me says, I bet you there's something in there about Habib Gerges. I bet you I'll find something in there. How do I get access? I said, I only have one solution now. I went straight to the top. So I went to Bishop Johannes, secretary of Pope Shenouda III, said to him, this is the situation, I need access to the archives. He said, write a note to His Holiness, I did. And His Holiness already knew what I was doing. So gladly, he approved and sent with me Bishop Johannes to go to the archives. What do you think happened? A 180 degree turn. Ahlan Sayedna. Tea and coffee. Cold drinks, biscuits. Anything that you want. Complete change of atmosphere. I still don't know what's in there, yeah? All, all I have now is access to the archives. So I brought the cameraman. We started photographing the minutes. I had a friend of mine who is a translator, said to him, why don't you take this guy to give you a tour of the archives, it's a huge storeroom, very humid, dusty, rats, everything you can think of down there, I spent 10 days down there. So he says the same thing, marital contracts, land titles, and he comes to a section and says, this section is about schools. And I was sitting right at the front photographing with the photographer. I said to him, what did you say? He said, schools. Schools? Why didn't you say this before? Obviously, he was gagged and he was unable to speak. So we pull out one file. Each file, cardboard box, has got several manila folders inside. And each manila folder has got tens and tens of documents. I open the first file, and what do I find? Letters in the handwriting, original letters of Habib Gerges in his own handwriting with his signature. Reports on Sunday school, reports on the theological college, budgets, letters that he had sent to the synod and to the patriarch. And I was told there was nothing there. 
boxes and boxes and boxes of this material. How many pages did I end up photographing? 7,130 pages of documents of the work of Habib Gerges in Sunday school and religious and theological college that no one even knew existed. I photographed all this, made them into PDF files, and then I cataloged each of the documents. The date of the document, the number of the document, the title of the document, and the few sentences summary, what is in this document. And this became an appendix to my doctoral dissertation. Fascinating material. I could spend the rest of my life publishing on what I found in these, in these archives. But I was telling you this story because in these archives I found a very important document called Visitation to the Villages. And during the three-month holiday period in summer, Habib Gerges would gather the, the Sunday school teachers, particularly in Cairo, and gave them a system of how to go into the villages to serve them. Because unfortunately, the priests were not going to the villages in the remote areas. And they were too far from the cities and the people were so poor, they couldn't afford to go to, to the churches to have communion and to attend liturgy or anything like this. So in this document, Habib Gerges te uh, tells the priests to go and take the holy altar board and to go into these villages and to pray the liturgy for the people and, and to serve the people and to look at their problems. But for the Sunday school teachers, he would send them two by two and tell them the following. Go to the, uh, go to the government office and get the census. There was a census that was done regularly so that they knew where the Copts were and where they lived. And ask them to go into a village and then split when they enter into the village. Each one of them to visit ten families. To give a lesson to the children. To read the Bible. To bring... Uh, an icon of the Lord Jesus Christ and place it in the living room. People were not going to church. They were not having Holy Communion. They were not baptizing their children. Some of them did not even know they were Christian. Imagine this dismal state. And he tried to transform that around and to care for these people. So not just for the cities. He even went deep into the remote areas of Egypt looking for everyone. This is the passion and the zeal that was inside this great saint of our modern church. Amazing. It brings me to tears every time I read this stuff. And sometimes now today, we become so lax in our ministry. You know, and we take things so haphazardly. And we don't give enough attention to our educating our children. It's very, very sad to see that. And so... He also knew that the illiteracy was even worse in the villages. And so in one of the footnotes, I found this fascinating as well. He would say to the servants how to train the people to read and write. He said, go to the central office of Sunday school. You'll find the life of Christ in books written in the Lobach method. I start to think, what is Lobach? What's this? Never heard this word before. So I just tried to think what it may look like in English, and I googled the name. Thank God for Google. <laughs> and came up a name of Frank Charles Lobach. This was a Protestant missionary here in America 
that was sent to the Philippines to preach to the Moro tribes. The Moro tribes were illiterate people, so he devised a system how to teach them to read and write called Each One Teach One. Those that know how to read and write to teach those, how, uh, those that couldn't read and write. And he did it with the method of using the life of Christ as an example. And obviously these books had come to Egypt and had been translated into Arabic. And so that the servants would go and find a couple of people in the village that could read and write to teach the rest of the village. Why? So that they can begin reading the Bible. They would take them one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and begin to teach them so that they can learn about their Christian faith. The challenge would have been whether they could actually find one or two people that could read and write in each of the villages. But at least it gives you again an idea of the broad vision that Habib Gerges had and what he wanted to do for education for the people. Time is up or not? Yes. <laughs> Five minutes? Zihetu or less? Is it true that at the beginning, uh, when he was trying to establish this system, is it true that at the beginning, when he was trying to establish that system, uh, there was like resistance from some of the leaders of the church? There was lots of resistance. Believe me, if someone else in that atmosphere he was living in saw that and was resisted like Habib Gerges was in all of his work, he would have ran away and said, well, I don't need all of this headache. But it shows you how resilient and tenacious this man was. He never took no for an answer. He always tried to find the solution. And this is important for us as Sunday school teachers to learn the same. Not to give up easily. And when a problem happens, how we can overcome it um, in, a, in a positive way. And he, he did a lot uh, to be able to do that. Resistance from inside the church? Oh, yeah, inside the church, inside mainly. The church. Yeah, yeah. Yes? Uh, I have a question. Uh, uh, why were you interested in doing your prophecy and getting people, especially? Yeah. And why wasn't he uh, yeah, an amateur priest like uh, I thank God that he was not a priest, nor a bishop, <laughs> nor a patriarch. <laughs> why? Because, if he be, because he was actually nominated several times to become bishop and once to become patriarch. But the synod rejected because he was not a monk. And if he did become a bishop or a patriarch, he would have got so involved in the ministry, he would not have had all of his life dedicated to education as he did. Why did I become interested in him? My master's degree was a thesis about Christian education in the Church of Alexandria in the first five centuries. So when I thought about the thesis for the PhD, I said, let me continue to do a 2,000-year history of education. But my mentor at the time at Fordham University said, that's very broad. That's a lifetime's work. You can't do that in a dissertation. You have to take something narrow and then become the expert in that little field. Then I thought about doing something about Pope Corollas IV. He said, okay, go and find what he wrote. I didn't find anything. And then I remembered Pope Shenouda when I was a monk in the monastery with Pope Shenouda, see him every week, 
Many times in many of his discussions, he would mention him. But I still did not know that much about him at that stage. No more than, yes, he established Sunday school and was the dean of the seminary. But I didn't know much more than that. But then when I went to research and found that he wrote more than 30 books and then discovered all these documents, etc., my professor said, you have more than a PhD here. Go ahead and start. So that's how it began. And I, I'm actually... Um, very happy that I that this was my focus because it's really central to everything uh, that I do and is interested in with respect to religious and theological education. Any other questions? Yes. Would it be possible to get a copy of your dissertation? The dissertation is available on ProQuest. So this is the organization that. Uh, uh, houses all dissertations. If you send them a request, they will send you a copy. Yeah, but the book is out as well, so it covers a lot, which is in the dissertation. But it doesn't have obviously all the catalog, which was uh, of all the archival document. That's only in the dissertation. It will be too much to put into a book. Yes. Of of Habib Gerges? No. Not that I have discovered. Yeah. Photos, yes, but not sermons. But in his writings, you can know. So he gave, for example, in 1916, on the 4th of May, 1916, he gave a very important sermon titled The Importance of Preaching in the Church in General and in the Coptic Orthodox Church in particular. A very uh, beautiful sermon that was then published. He gave it in one of the churches in Cairo. 100 years later, exactly on the 4th of May 2016, I gave a lecture in Melbourne. It's available on YouTube, describing what he said in that, uh, in that lecture on preaching as a celebration 100 years later to that uh, sermon. There's many other things that he did. He established the Central Sunday School Committee in 1918, and that's why the church last year celebrated 100 years since the establishment of that committee, and that's when the church officially recognizes the establishment of Sunday school, even though they had begun his work and published curricula uh, before that. He gave attention to the servants by giving several conferences as well in the 1940s, just concentrating on the Sunday school teachers. Um, and he also put a very well-oiled administration system for the Sunday school movement. So it's not just a matter of curriculum and establishing branches of Sunday school, but I found all of these uh, documents where he asked each of the Sunday school teachers to write a report on each of the students. How many times did they go to Holy Communion? When did they go to confession? When did they read the Bible? When did they come to liturgy? Uh, any notes about each of the students. And then the superintendent of Sunday school would collect all these documents and they would send them to a central office and all this was collected into an annual report giving a full report of Sunday school. How many branches, how many teachers, what publications were published and he presented this to the patriarch and presented it to the members of the synod and in fact to the whole church. We don't have anything like this today. I wonder how many of our churches actually dedicate a budget just for Sunday school activity. Many times it's the last thing that we think about. If we look at our churches 
And where is the activity where it takes place education? Probably very poor facilities in many cases. It's the last thing we think about. Whereas these are the most, preci most precious assets that we have in these kids. We should give them the best possible education and have the best possible facilities for them. But many times we neglect this, unfortunately. I'll give you also to show you just a few quotes to finish off with of how he was thinking of a holistic approach to religious education. This is what he says here of how to develop a child. He says this. He says, teaching is neither the dictation of advice, nor of orders, nor of instruction. Rather, it is the participation between the teacher and the child in a common spirit for knowledge. Very fascinating. Yeah? It's not rote learning anymore, one direction from teacher to student. No. This is something that's done together. This is what we teach in modern educational philosophies today. If any of you are teachers here, you'll know what I'm talking about. Therefore, it is the teacher's duty not to dictate information or to hand out absolute orders to these children in their care. But they should provide them with the opportunity to discover everything on their own. We're talking beginning of the 20th century, Habib Gerges is saying this. Educational philosophers are talking about this today. Yeah? To get the children, you are just there as a guide, but you want the children to discover on their own. He's saying this a hundred years ago. Among the aims of this important theory of education, right? He's getting this from Froebel, right? The German philosopher. One to ensure that the child lives a virtuous life from an early age and to go beyond stating mere facts about how to live it thereafter. Two, to ensure that activity gives rise to vigor. Three, to combine research with pleasure and happiness. Pleasure and happiness in education 100 years ago? Yes, this is how he w what he was saying. When I was doing the PhD, we studied a book called Education and Happiness in the, in the 21st century. Habib Gerges is talking about this 100 years ago, the importance that education is a pleasurable activity. How do you, as Sunday school teachers, make religious education as a pleasurable activity for your students so that you go into the class and they're all engaged with you if you have really studied and researched and know how to present your lesson properly. And to reap and harvest the results to deepen the effects of research on life. And four, to ensure that the pleasure and happiness of the children ignite their inner desire for knowledge rather than mere facts provided for memorization. Yeah? Very, very critical. If you have the book, you can read this on page 79. It's really, really important. This is how he looked as a holistic approach to teaching children. And I'll give you one more. How a child who came to Sunday school for the first time and how he transformed the life of his family. This is what he says. Another quote from Habib Gerges. 
A student who was 12 years of age came to Sunday school for the first time. The lesson was about prayer. And the teacher explained the sample of this prayer. When the young boy went home at the family meeting in the evening, he brought out the Holy Bible, opened it, and surprised the family by telling them that he would read the chapter aloud and that they would afterward pray, Our Father who art in heaven. The entire family submitted to this young boy, and in this way, the family began for the first time to practice family prayer for the first time because of this young boy and the effect of Sunday school had on him. This deed should have been carried out by the father. But the student of Sunday school accomplished what the father neglected to do. O oh, Father, Habib Gerges says, now directing his words to the Father. O oh, Father, will you reclaim your status as the priest of the family? If you do not wish to do so, or are incapable of such, then we have a humble request. We request you do not stand in the way of your son, but allow him to live in the freedom in the bosom of his God. Quite amazing. This shows you a simple example of the effect that Sunday school had on the Coptic community once it was established by the work that Habib Gerges did. If we call Pope Krollus IV the father of reform, I think that Saint Habib Gerges deserves the title of father of education, at least in our modern era. I think we can learn many lessons from his life. We can learn resilience and tenacity when things were not going right, that he still pushed ahead. His love for the church and for, for the hierarchy of the church. His deep love for the children that he served with great passion. He would say sometimes, he would remember something in the middle of the, of the night, and he would have always a pen next to him, and he would write it on the wall so he wouldn't forget the passion and the zeal that he had. Obviously, I can say a lot about each of these points. Reading and study. And we also need to learn this lesson from him, the importance of reading. The more you read, the more that you are not just reading for the sake of knowledge, but to deepen your relationship with Christ. This will affect then the way that you teach and the way that you care for your children. I just finished reading this book actually on Audible. Now, now for the first time I'm getting used to being in the car for four and five hours every day in Los Angeles. <laughs> so Audible is becoming my new friend. I'd Rather Be Reading by Anne Bogle, The Delights and Dilemmas of the Reading Life. So if you're interested it just gives you some inspiration uh, of the importance of reading in our lives. The proper administration system that he put for Sunday school, he was also an innovator. He was always thinking out of the box, not just doing the traditional things, but thinking of how to better his ministry every day. He was a righteous man and just. He never bore grudges against anyone. 
and as I said, that he was also a very great preacher. I hope I've inspired you a little bit to know more about this great saint, modern saint, and I hope some of you may take him as an intercessor and be inspired in your ministry by this great example with the little means that he had, yeah? And even though that he was not honored during his life, now God has honored him by, by the synod pronouncing him and canonizing him as a modern saint of our church. And I thank you for your attention and for listening. And glory be to God forever. Amen.